0: So this morning is Christ the King Sunday, which may or may not mean anything to you, but Christ the King Sunday is the last Sunday in the church year. It begins again next week with the first Sunday in Advent, if you can believe that. That's where we are as we move toward and and prepare our hearts for the arrival of the birth of our Messiah. We observe Christ the King Sunday, or it was intended for us to observe Christ the King Sunday, as a reminder that one day in the future Jesus will return as King, and when He comes, He will bring with Him final judgment. Now, judgment, uh, how you view the judgment depends on uh, who you are. If you are a righteous person, you look forward to the judgment because it's when God comes and puts everything to right. If you are a wicked person, not so much. Judgment is something that we are urged by remembering Christ the King Sunday. We are urged to remember and to prepare ourselves for. Ultimately, however, how we do in the final judgment is all about where we place our faith, And the calling upon us is to place our faith in the work of of Jesus Christ. That said, we'd best not forget or dismiss the reality that several times in our New Testaments, the Gospels in particular, um, the judgment is also wrapped up in how we treat other people. In particular, how we treat those who are less fortunate than we are. So my mind immediately goes to Matthew 25, which I believe we looked at back in the spring. Matthew 25, the story of the sheep and the goats, the wicked and the righteous, and the separation of the two at the end of the age. And those who have been generous towards others, the least of these, those who have been caring towards them, they are welcomed into their eternal reward. Those who have not been generous and caring toward those in need are turned away. Now, however we want to nuance and interpret that passage and what's going on there, one thing is absolutely clear. One thing is clear, and that is that generosity and a caring spirit matter to God. Generosity and a caring spirit matter to God. Or I think of James chapter 1, verse 27, where James, the brother of Jesus, says that true religion, religion that is faultless and pure, is that which looks after Widows and orphans, the least of these, in their distress. And so, I think it's good on this Christ the King Sunday that we spend some time reflecting on what it means our, our calling as followers of Jesus to uh, to be generous and to be willing to share. The question that we began with last week in the first sermon in this uh, brief series of sermon was, what does it mean to live the good life? And in that context, we didn't mean to have everything, to have cars and houses and so forth. We meant to live the truly good life. Given the good that God has already done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, how should we respond? And we said then that one good turn deserves another, or one good deed deserves another. The one, this one good deed that God has done for us in Jesus Uh, deserves more good deeds from us. In fact, we'd say that this one good deed that God has done for us deserves a lifetime of good deeds. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, "...command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds." So doing good is part of what leads us to the promises in verse 19. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of a life that is truly life. That's where we get our good news from this week and from last week. In Christ, we can have the good life. In Christ, we can have the good life, the life that is truly life. Because of the good that God has done for us, not only are we promised eternal life in the hereafter, but we are promised abundant life in the here and now. We experience and we enjoy that life by doing good and by being rich in good deeds. That's what we talked about last week. However, that's only half of what gets us to the life that is truly life, the abundant life. There's one more thing, going again back to the passage, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And to be generous and willing to share. How can we have the good life by doing good and by being generous and willing to share? See, Paul is finishing up his thoughts from early in the chapter where he's dealing with the problem or the challenges of wealth and riches, the dangers, in fact. After warning Timothy to watch out for the false teachers uh, who are weaseling their way into the church and, and who, in his words, are, quote, people of corrupt mind, who have been robbed of the truth, and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain, Paul then uh, says back in verse 6 and following, but godliness with contentment is great gain, as opposed to the false teachers who are seeking financial gain with their deceptive teaching. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. You can't take it with you. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. And many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is not too far from the warning that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, where he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If we have an unhealthy attachment to wealth, to money, to things, it may very well wreck our faith. But this is not only a word for the rich. For any of us, rich, poor, anywhere in between, can worship money and possessions, regardless of how little or much we may have. Any of us can. To put it yet another way, as the book Unleashed Generosity puts it, when it comes to money, we will either worship wealth or we will worship with our wealth. When it comes to money, we will either worship wealth or we will worship with our wealth. Becoming a generous person, then, is about discipleship. Becoming a generous person is about our transformation from worshiping wealth, however little or much we may have, to worshiping with our wealth. So after a bit of a personal word to Timothy that we're not going to deal with in verses 11 to 16, Paul gets back on track in his his instructions concerning those who are rich. It seems like, if you read it, it seems like he realizes he's been rather hard on wealth. He's been rather down, rather negative about the dangers. And now he sees perhaps the need to give a little more positive input. Come on, Paul, can you be a little more positive? It's not about feeling guilty about what we have. It's not about feeling guilty if we are wealthy. It's about learning an alternative way to live so that we do not fall into that trap into that temptation that will lead to our ruin and to our destruction. And again, in speaking these things to the rich, Paul speaks them to us as well. For just as we said last week, when we compare our relative wealth here in the city of Lafayette to that of the rest of the world, we are all likely within the top 2% of the richest people on the planet. That doesn't mean life is easy. It doesn't mean we have no... Uh, No financial worries or concerns, and this is not meant to make any of us feel guilty for whatever we do have. Not at all. It's simply meant to be an adjustment in our perspective. Most of the rest of the world is decidedly poorer than most of us. Most of the rest of the world. We are blessed. We are, if I can say this, lucky. We did not earn being born at this time in this place. It was a gift, and so the question is, How will we steward well over the grace of being born in this place at this time? We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It's a gift that we live in this place at this time. How are we going to steward well over this gift of God's grace to us? When Paul says that doing good and being generous and willing to share enable us to lay up treasure for ourselves, most of us hear that and perhaps we think of Jesus' words, and Paul is likely borrowing from Jesus' words. Uh, Jesus is quoted several times in the Gospels as saying that the way to lay up treasure in heaven is to sell everything you've got and give the money to the poor. Now, from this point of view, being generous and willing to share with those in need is not so much a sacrifice, it is that, but it's not so much a sacrifice as it is an investment. It's an investment. Put another way, a little more provocatively, being generous and willing to share is an investment in the kingdom of God, not a way to save on our taxes. The standard deduction on our federal taxes was raised in 2018 for singles and couples. In fact, it almost doubled. The standard deduction on mine and Kim's federal taxes is $24,000. Now, from that point of view, I can tell you there's really no reason from, from, a, uh, from getting a, more deductions, there's really no reason for us to give anything else away. We tithe, we give 10% and a little beyond that, but it doesn't come anywhere close to $24,000. Those changes, not like money in my pocket as much as the next person, but those changes in the tax law, according to many people, have had a negative impact on charitable giving across the nation. However, followers of Jesus, for those of us who follow Jesus, changes in the tax law do not matter. They do not matter. It's not why we give. We are not generous and willing to share because it might save us something on our taxes. We are, not, we are generous and willing to share because that's what it means to follow Jesus and pursue God's purposes in the world. We choose to be generous and willing to share because we, we believe there is really something to this laying up treasure for ourselves in heaven. What does it look like? What does that even mean? I have no idea what it looks like. Treasures laid up in heaven. And my guess is most of the rest of you don't either. But here's what I do know. Whatever it is, is good and beautiful and a far better return on our investment in the kingdom of God than we can possibly imagine. Being generous and willing to share is also one of the ways you and I align ourselves with that ECC touchstone of presence. Again, that's one of the ways we act as agents of change and redemption in the world. It's one of the ways we bear fruit for the kingdom of God in the world. It's one of the ways we bear fruit in our lives, in the here and now, as well as in the hereafter. There's a, there's a quote that I heard this, uh, this past week that was attributed to Dave Ramsey, but I did a little digging, and it's actually much older than that. It's gone through several changes, but it goes all the way back to the early 1600s from Francis Bacon, paraphrasing it because, as I said, it's been uh, done different ways. Money is like manure. If you pile it up, it stinks. If you spread it around, it makes things grow. I thought about calling the sermon Muck, Manure, and Money, but I didn't think manure on the screen this whole time would be the best thing. Money is like manure. If you pile it up, it stinks. If you spread it around, it makes things grow. If we're going to travel further down this path of fulfilling our mission to know God and to follow Jesus and to pursue God's purposes in the world, if we're going to move ever closer to becoming more healthy missional people in a more healthy missional congregation, it will be in part... Because we are growing in what it means to be generous and willing to share as individuals and as a congregation. Before our council meeting a couple of weeks ago, I had us read through this passage from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, We read it over prayerfully out loud several times. We paused in between and we listened and we tried to hear if God had a word or a phrase for us, and then we talked about what we were hearing afterwards, and we let that conversation, that meditation, lead us into a time of prayer. Several words came up. Several interesting insights came up. It was very helpful. But the word that struck me that night, and it wasn't the word that I got, it was somebody else got, uh, was the word command. Paul instructs Timothy to command those who are rich in this present world to be generous and willing to share. Let's Let's consider this for just a minute. This is Timothy, a young man we know from elsewhere in Scripture, a young man who is already concerned that others look down on him because of his age. And the Apostle Paul tells him, I want you to command the rich and the powerful and tell them what to do with their money. Now I ask you, who likes to be told what to do with their money? Not me. And let's imagine what would happen if every Sunday I stood in the pulpit and I started commanding you to do things. I wonder how well that would go for me. Actually, I have a pretty good idea how well that would go for me. (laughs) And yet there it is. Command. Charge. Order. For our friends here in the military or who have been in the military, what do you do when a superior officer gives you an order? You obey it. Why such strong language, Paul? What are you trying to do? All these nice, wealthy, rich folks are in the church. They have the power in their hands to pad our church budget for the next year. If you keep talking like this, Paul, you're going to scare them away for crying out loud. Paul commands them to be generous and willing to share because it is important for the mission, it is important for the health of the community of faith, and it is important for their own transformation. We are to be generous and willing to share because it is important for the mission. It is important for the community of faith. It is important for our own transformation. Generosity is about discipleship. Generosity is about discipleship. Now, all of this leads to next steps. When it comes to our possessions and our relative wealth, what good turn are we to do in response to the good turn that God has done For us in Christ when it comes to our finances and our possessions what would it look like for you to discover a little more of that life that is truly life the good life how can you and I live into that abundant life a little more daringly this day this week this year when Paul writes to Timothy to command those who are rich to be rich in good deeds be generous and willing to share his commands flow out of the verses that come before Now, not to get ahead of ourselves, we're going to be dealing with this a little more next week, but in verse 17 again, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. When I was praying over these verses a few weeks ago just to see what God might say to me and to us, I was struck by how little attention I have paid to that word enjoyment in the past. So often we talk about having our needs met, but God seems here to be intent on giving us all things. Literally, that's what it says. All things for us to enjoy as well. See, God is not an ogre wagging his finger, watching over us to make sure we don't have any fun with what we have. No, God gives us all things for our enjoyment. Everything from the 2 or $3 you have in your wallet to a gorgeous sunset or to a great view of the Milky Way galaxy on a moonless night, all of it is given to us for this reason, that we might enjoy it. And there are many other things in between. God does not give us all things so that we feel guilty because we have all things, not at all. Faithful stewardship, this is important, faithful stewardship is not only about what we give away or what we save, it's also about how well we enjoy what we have. Faithful stewardship is not only about what we give away or what we save. It is also about how well we enjoy whatever we have. As the song goes, it's not about having what we want, it's about wanting what we've got. Enjoy life, enjoy all things, because God has richly provided these things for just that reason. So first, let us consider all the ways we have been blessed. Let us stop and consider all the ways we have been blessed. I invite you to take up the, and practice the spiritual discipline of counting your blessings, setting aside some time to quiet yourself, and asking God to help you see, even in the midst of hardship and difficulty, what is good? What is good and right and beautiful in my life that I want to just take note of, that I can be, it's Thanksgiving week, this is a good time to do this. For what am I thankful? Make the list, carry the list with you during the day. Ask God to reveal more things to you. Keep track of them and sometime spend time and sit down and read those things out loud and give thanks to God for all the ways he has been good to you. This is is where stewardship starts. We have been blessed. So a few years ago, I walked out into the parking lot of uh, Jeff High School and I saw a penny and I framed that penny, a penny as you can't see it, but there's a penny framed in this frame. It sits on my desk. And I did that because um, we had just seen Suzical the Musical, which is now one of my favorites. And in particular, there's one song that the Cat in the Hat sings that uh, I, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm overstating this, but I tell you it was a bit of a religious experience. That may sound funny, but it was. Because going through some difficulties, both personally in terms of our family and in terms of just stuff happening at church, Uh, I was just aware of all those things, and they were just a burden to me, and I was watching this, and then the cat in the hat sings this. This is just the first part. When the news is all bad, when you're sour and blue, when you start to get mad, you should do what I do. Tell yourself how lucky you are. When your life's going wrong, when the fates are unkind, when you're limping along and get kicked from behind, tell yourself how lucky you are. I don't know. Something happened to me while I'm listening to this song and I start to think about all the things that are good in my life. I am pretty lucky. You may not like the word lucky. I think it's fun to use it sometimes. I am pretty lucky. There's some good things in my life. I am blessed. Walked out to the parking lot, looked down, there was that penny. First thing pops in my head is, see a penny, pick it up, and all the day you'll have good luck. So I pick it up. The year on it was 2005, probably the most, at least at that time, the most difficult year our family had had in in terms especially of one of our children. It was a reminder to me that even with all of that, I'm blessed and there are good things to celebrate and give thanks. And so I frame it and I keep it on my desk to remind me that every once in a while we just need to tell ourselves how lucky we are, how blessed we are. Practice the discipline of counting. Your blessings. You know, for our purposes, there are three broad categories of generosity that we're going to uh, kind of explore in response to this good life God wants for us. The, The giving of our tithes and offerings to our local church, the above and beyond giving towards special causes and initiatives, and a generous way of life in the world. Most obviously, let's talk about the giving of our tithes and offerings each week during the offering or online. Notice there are two words, tithes and offerings. A tithe is 10%. Now, if you aren't currently giving 10%, there's no judgment here. God does not love you any less than he loves the person who gives 10% or more. But what would it look like for you to add one percentage point of your income to what you do give? If you've never given, start with 1% of your income. If you give 4%, start with 5%. You can do the math. Giving 10% is not a command. It's not a sin not to give 10%. I don't think it is. I think it's instruction on how to live the life that God wants you to have. And learning to be generous and willing to share is what you do. See what God will do with you when you trust Him enough, when you accept the challenge to be generous and willing to share, when you trust Him enough that you will experiment with what it means to increase what you give to your local congregation. Second broad category of giving is that of special initiatives or ministries beyond our regular giving. These are what we refer to by the other word, the second word, offerings. And as you know, there are always special ways to give at ECC, whether through national initiatives like Covenant World Relief. We'll be taking up an offering for that at the Harvest in-gathering service on Tuesday night, 7 p.m., followed by pie. You don't want to miss it. Or it can be in local opportunities to give, like uh, the one before us now to give toward ECC's Christmas Outreach. Others of us give to New Hope Haiti or to Covenant Kids Congo or we support missionaries who raise support. There are endless ways to give offerings, to practice what it means to be generous and willing to share in our offerings. And I encourage you, especially if you're not one who usually does this, to take the risk and give to one of these causes that go beyond your regular giving here at ECC. Then finally, there is the calling for us to live lives of generosity in the world. Do you, do I live from a mindset of scarcity or a mindset of abundance? Do we live from a mindset of scarcity or a mindset of abundance? That is, if we, are, we, are we generous and willing to share with others on a daily basis, or do we hold on to things and refuse to be generous because we're afraid sometime we might need it? A mindset of scarcity. What would it look like for you to practice tipping big at restaurants? i love to do that. Or the next person that comes up to you and asks for something, you just say yes. Maybe you can't give them everything they're asking for, but you can give them something. Maybe it's a favor, maybe it's money, I don't know what it is. Or, as I, I know people do this a lot in this church, paying for someone's lunch, paying for a cup of coffee, just because. Once again, if we do these things, we will, we will become, we will be transformed in more generous people, more Christ-like people, more christ people. Of these four responses, I want to challenge you to do the first one for certain. Count your blessings. Do that one for certain. And then I want to ask you to prayerfully engage in at least one of the other possible responses. You're welcome to try all three types of giving if you want to, but I'm only asking for one. Why? I'm only asking for one because I truly believe that if you engage in even one of these and you give yourself to it fully and completely, you will enjoy You will find joy in partnering with God. You will see God at work in your life and that will transform you and you will want to experiment with the other two areas as well. As we close, I simply want you to watch a a video testimony that we've got. It's a little longer than we would normally show for a video and a service, but it's a very good testimony. This Tom and Bree are a family who who chose from the very beginning of their marriage to live off of the median household income. They say that a couple times in 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 the clip. I just want to make sure you hear that. They chose to live off the median household income for the nation when they had access to far more resources and more money. Instead, they chose to be generous with the surplus, everything that was above that median household income. And as you watch, I want you to try to resist the temptation to compare their potential income with yours. That's not the point. Pay attention to their hearts. <clears throat> Excuse me. Notice how their decision to spread money around like manure made things grow for God's kingdom. How might we listen to their advice at the end of the clip, listening to Jesus and asking him what we are to do, what we can do with what we have, not what we wish we had. And afterwards I will come up and close this in prayer.